In March of this year, the New York Times ran an article asking the question, what's the most important thing in your life? And they did a study, and many of the results of the study came back thinking things that you might necessarily think the survey would suggest. Some people said money, some people said a good job, some people said fame. But the article went on to cite a study that began in 1938 at Harvard. And every year since 1938, Harvard has been conducting this study. And throughout that time, here's the thing that they have discovered. The most important thing in all of our lives is the value of your relationships. So I want to talk from God's word this morning about the number one priority of your life. Now stop and think for just a minute, what is the most important thing to you? I'm not talking about something that you like or even something that you value. I want to know what is the most important thing in your life. Because what's most important necessarily overrules everything else of lesser importance. You can't have two things in your life of highest priority. Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon. There's only one thing that can be highest priority in your life. It would be like somebody living in Bryan College Station and rooting for Alabama. (laughs) It's just logically inconsistent. One of them always overrules the other. There's something that must be your highest priority. This morning, I want to talk to you about God's number one priority for your life. And what I want you to see from God's word is that God's number one desire is for him to be your number one priority. Let me say that again. God's number one desire is for him to be your number one priority. If you brought your Bible with you this morning, let me invite you to open with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. Jesus is going to be asked... And will answer the question of the number one priority in your life. In our text in Matthew 22, beginning in verse 34, we're picking up in the middle of a series of conversations. Jesus has already twice been tested by the religious leaders. This will be the third test that Jesus is given. And I want you to see Jesus' response. Matthew 22 Beginning in verse 34, when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the great command. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depends the law and the prophets. Now, this is the third of three consecutive questioning periods that the religious leaders have brought against Jesus. They are listed by Matthew without interruption. The first was the Pharisees who had gathered together with the Herodians, and you see them there in verse 15 when they begin by asking Jesus a very simple question about taxes. After Jesus responds to their question, the Sadducees come in verse 23, and they ask Jesus a question about resurrection. 
And then the Bible says in verse 33 that the multitudes marveled at Jesus' response. And then in verse 34, the Pharisees recognized that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. It's probably what Peter had in mind in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, when he talked about silencing the ignorance of foolish men. And here Jesus has silenced all of the questions that have come against him. And the Bible begins in verse 34 by telling us that the Pharisees, in response to that, gather together. And they have this holy huddle there in verse 34. They've gathered together in order to try to come up with a strategy to question Jesus. And the best solution they can come up with is a lawyer. Now, to be fair, the literal translation expert in the law is probably the best rendering of what's going on here because this person who is an expert in the law comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus a question about the law. Really what he's doing is he's asking Jesus to weigh in on what is a question of the hierarchy of their laws. And here's what they're no doubt thinking. Anything Jesus says, they can hold against him. Any one of those laws that Jesus picks to say is the highest priority of the law, they'll say, well, then you've, you've demeaned all these other laws. And so they're raising this question to test him. In fact, that's what Matthew tells us. They're trying to test him. But when Jesus responds, he doesn't actually elevate one law above the others. What he does is he gives us the fundamental issue that is underneath every law. You shall love the Lord your God. It's a common phrase that you see in the Old Testament. In fact, the command is somewhat common. You shall love the Lord your God. That command occurs 11 times in the Old Testament, 9 times in the book of Deuteronomy. It grows out of a phrase that we see 41 times in the Old Testament. I am the Lord your God. God's his title, Lord's his name. Prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 42, I am the Lord, that's my name. And here, in almost a sense of God introducing himself, I am the Lord, your God. And so when Jesus cites this passage, he's citing a passage that references the book of Deuteronomy in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Every day, faithful Jews recite Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one tells us a lot that we need to know about our faith in him. It's the basic axiom of our faith in God. He is one Lord. It means he is Lord. It means he is one Lord. It means he alone is Lord. And on the basis of that, Jesus cites Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, in response to this question. Because in the text, right after the Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, it follows it with this command, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. So because he is Lord, the absolute one, the almighty one, the, the one who is in sovereign control, because he is Lord, he doesn't give us options for us to consider. He gives us commands for us to follow. He is Lord. And so Jesus now not issuing a suggestion, he issues a command. You shall love the Lord your God. But it's not just any command. 
Jesus said this is the greatest command. Because that's really the basis of the question here. What is the greatest command? Jesus responds, the greatest command is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Which suggests that anything less than all of our heart, soul, and mind is a counterfeit kind of obedience. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And you know the word all suggests completeness. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. So that anything less than that is indirect disobedience with the greatest command that the Lord ever gave us. Jesus didn't say, do your best to love God as much as you can. He didn't say, try really hard to, to love God however you feel. No, it's, it's, it's conclusive. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. It's complete and it is exclusive. Because if I'm loving God with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my mind, there is no room in my life to love anyone else the same. It's exclusive. We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart. It would be like a groom standing at the altar and promising to love his fiancée more than all his other girlfriends. No, God's not satisfied with that either. We're to love the Lord our God with all. Well, all of what? Well, Jesus tells us, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Now, in Scripture, anytime you see the word heart, it suggests the center of our being, our emotion, our feeling, our motivation, everything that we do and why we do it. We love the Lord our God with all of our desire, all of our heart, all of our being. Jesus said, out of the heart comes all things that proceed from our lives. You're to love the Lord your God with all of your emotion, all of your desire, love him with all your heart, and love him with all your soul. Word soul in scripture usually used synonymously with the word life. It is the essence of our being. It's who we are. It's everything that we are. We love the Lord our God with our very life. And then Jesus said, love God with your mind. Now there exists today what I think is an unfortunate misconception that somehow faith is anti-intellectual. As though you, you check your mind at the door when you enter the sanctuary because, you know, faith is about feeling and faith is about emotion. You know, maybe science is about the mind, but faith is just about feeling. But nothing could really be further than, than the truth. Jesus says we're to love the Lord our God with all of our mind. Some of you have started school. Some of you will start university tomorrow. And you'll find some in the classroom. You might find a teacher or a professor who disagrees and maybe even mocks the faith that you profess. And it would stand in disobedience to the command of God's word, not to love him with our mind, to study the word of God, to understand what we can about the word of God, to recognize that God's word speaks truth to our lives. And so often we've been willing to love God with our emotions but failed to love God with our mind. And I would suggest to you 
The truth is that those who fail to see the intelligence behind design or those who fail to see the creator behind the creation have either been blinded from the truth or they simply fail to consider it. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, I urge you, brothers, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to the Lord, which is your reasonable spiritual service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. That somehow the working of our mind is part of how we love God. Jesus said you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. Jesus said, that's the first and great command. It's the first command because it is preeminent. It's the great command because of its value. There is no command in all of Scripture, in all of history, greater than the command to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. But then... Jesus adds a second part to the answer that is not really part of the question that they asked him. He said, the first and great command is to love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And the second is like it. Second meaning the second greatest law. The second is like it, meaning that the command to love our neighbor is like the command to love God. Our obedience to the command to love God should be like our obedience to the command to love our neighbor. So if we're not loving our neighbor, we find ourselves then in violation with the command to love God. Because the same God who said you shall love me also said you shall love your neighbor. Well, Jesus, how do we love our neighbor? Jesus answers the question. You love your neighbor like you love yourself. Well, how do you love yourself? Well, you provide for yourself. You take care of yourself. You, you, you uh, satisfy the needs that you have, not in any kind of selfish kind of way. You just provide. That's part of your stewardship of taking care of the body that God has given to you. You love yourself by providing, by taking care of those things. So somehow the way that we love ourselves then informs how we are to love our neighbor. You love your neighbor, Jesus said, like you love yourself. I drive almost every day in traffic in downtown Fort Worth. Now, you probably have better drivers here <laughs> than, than we have in Fort Worth. I would suggest to you, there's not a lot of love for one's neighbor on I-35 in downtown Fort Worth. One, one of my biggest gripes, aggravations in life are people who put Christian symbols on their bumper and drive like the devil. <laughs> I mean, I just don't want to see an ichthus on your bumper if you're going to cut me off on the highway. Something about that is just inconsistent. Jesus said, love your neighbor like you love yourself. And on these two commands, Jesus said, depends the law and the prophets. Now, that word depend is the word that literally in our English means to hang. It's the word that describes Jesus hanging on the cross. On these two commands hang the law 
and the prophets. Everything in Scripture hangs on these two commands, Jesus said. The whole law, the whole prophet is suspended by these two commands. Now, you've seen that in the Ten Commandments, where the first four of the Ten Commandments refer to our loving God. The last six of the Ten Commandments refer to our loving of our neighbor. Now, I've heard that before, but let me tell you the part that I haven't heard. Jesus said, on these two commands depend the law and the prophets. We know that loving God and loving our neighbor is what suspends the law, but Jesus said it also supports the prophets. Now, what are the prophets? Well, the prophets were spokesmen for God. They were the people who took God's word and declared it to God's people. They took the message that God had delivered and declared it to the people who needed to hear a word from the Lord. And that's the same mandate that you and I have today. Because Jesus said, on these two commands depends the law and the prophets. So today... When there are 2.8 billion people in the world classified as unreached with the gospel, who in all likelihood will be born, live, and die, and never hear the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And you and I come to the realization that Jesus said loving God and loving our neighbor is what supports the message of the prophet. We cannot be satisfied with all of those who are lost and on their way to an eternity without, without God and still claim to love our neighbor. Jesus said on these two commands depends the law and the prophets. I heard David Platt say this this week, we are plan A to get the gospel to the world, and there is no plan B. That's our job. Loving God and loving our neighbor is what supports the very truth, the very foundation of Scripture. So we have these two commands the majestic call to love God exclusively, the prophetic mission to love our neighbor sacrificially. And I want to draw all of this together from our text and give you three very quick thoughts that I think summarize the greatest command in all of Scripture. I want you to see what Jesus is saying to his disciples, to the religious leaders who were questioning him, and to us today, what is the greatest thing that God would have for you? Let me suggest to you three things. Number one, loving God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind means that you and I must love what God loves. But what does God love? God loves his word and he loves his people. It's the foundation of what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the law and the prophets. He's talking about the truth of everything that God said. God loves his word and he loves the people that God created. And if you and I are going to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind, we're going to love what God loves. We're going to love his word and we're going to love his people. We're going to be students of his word and we're going to be messengers of his word to his people. We're going to love what God loves. Number two, loving God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind means that you and I must love like God loves. How does God love? Well, the scripture teaches that God loves sacrificially. 
It's the kind of love that's described here in the text where we love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind. We love God sacrificially. We love the world sacrificially. We love like God loves because everything that God said is suspended by these two commands. We love like God loves. And then finally, I want to suggest to you loving God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind means that you and I must love who God loves. He loves his people. He loves our neighbor. He loves those whom God has created. We love what God loves. We love like God loves. We love who God loves. And if we claim to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind, then we're going to begin to manifest that kind of love in the way that we love. And something about how God has loved us first begins to be demonstrated by how we love people. I had the privilege this week of witnessing as 27 new International Mission Board missionaries were commissioned to places literally all around the world being sent out to places, some of them places that we couldn't even hear about because there are places that are still closed to the gospel, but we're sending missionaries out there. Some of them are going to places that it might cost them their very lives. They were standing there giving testimony that they were not just giving their lives to God. They were willing to give their lives for God. And as the event was was put on the screens behind us. Some of them had their faces veiled for, for fear that some in those closed countries might be watching. Their families were there and they were witnessing it with understandably mixed emotions. And you stand there and you ask yourself the question, what would cause someone to sacrifice their lives, their families, for the sake of the gospel? And the answer is here in the text. They love God with all of their heart and all of their soul and all of their mind. The question for us today is, do you stand in violation of the first and greatest command to love the Lord your God? Are you living out in obedience the second greatest command Love your neighbor like you love yourself. Do you love God like that? Do you love like God loves? Because that's God's desire for your life. It's God's number one priority. It's God's number one desire is for him to be your number one priority. Would you bow together in prayer with me? Maybe this morning you would say, I, I haven't really loved God like that. I don't really know what it means to, to love God with all of my heart or all of my soul or all of my mind. Or maybe you would say, I, I, I want to love God like that. And, and right now in this moment, you would say to the Lord, God, I, I want to love you. I want to love you with everything. I don't want to just love you with something. I don't want to just love you with part of my life. But God, I want to love you with all of my life. 
Maybe this morning, because you love God, you want to stand in obedience to God. You want to follow whatever God is leading, whatever God is asking of you. And you know to be obedient, to say you love God, you've got to respond to what God has for your life. Maybe some other decision God wants for you to make this morning. God, I pray that we learn to love you like you have always loved us. God, I'm grateful for the love of the Father in Christ Jesus. That you loved us before we could ever love you. You loved us when we were unlovely. You love us in spite of our failures. You love us enough to include us in your plan, in your will. And so God, I pray this morning you would challenge us to love you. To love you like you've loved us. To, to love who you love. To love what you love. To love like you love. God, I pray that this morning we would stand in obedience to the first and great command to love the Lord our God. And out of a obedience to you, we'd love people like you love people. God, I pray to your honor and to your glory, you'd find us faithful to the greatest command you've given. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you love God with everything, you'll stand for God. You'll stand for God if no one else stands for God. You'll stand for God when people attack your faith. You'll stand for God when people question your faith. You'll stand for God when people misunderstand your faith. You'll stand for him. If you love God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind, you'll live for him. You'll give your life to him. You'll go where God wants you to go. You'll respond however God leads. If you love God with all of your heart and all your soul and all your mind, you'll learn of him. You'll spend your time, your life learning of God and his word. You'll go where God wants you to go. It might be that God calling you this morning to a life of sacrificial obedience to him. And you would say, because I love the Lord God with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my mind, I'm willing to go wherever God is leading. It might be God is calling you to a lifetime of service. Someone here, God's calling to ministry. God's calling to missions. God's calling to church work. God's calling to obedience in this church. Some here this morning, God's calling to a relationship with him, maybe for the very first time. Some here this morning, God's calling you to renew your love for him. Maybe God's calling you to unite with this church, bring your family, join this church. Some other decision, God's calling you, this invitation's for you. Maybe this is the moment when you would stand and say, I, I love the Lord and I choose to follow him. As these are standing down here at the front, if God has a decision he wants you to make, this is the time for you to come. I'm going to challenge you to step out from where you're sitting and come down front. To Maybe you need to make your decision public and talk to someone standing here. Maybe you need to recommit your life. Maybe you need to unite with this church. Maybe you need to come down, kneel here at the altar and do business, just you and God. Some decision God wants you to make. God's calling you this morning. You come.